I've learned over the years, said Rosa Parks, that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear. Knowing what must be done does away with fear. That's what I'm looking for, Lord. Give us strength of heart, clarity of purpose, take away the fear, wipe away the tears, and let us trod on to victory. I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and here's a thought from Rabbis Out of the Box on our present situation. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm sitting here with Rav Aaron Leibowitz. I mean, sitting here in a virtual sense. I mean, it's wonderful to see you, Rabbi, but the screen feels a little bit distant compared to the last time we sat together in the park. Yeah, it really does. It feels like a world away, doesn't it? Yeah, it's uh, reminiscent of a, of, a, of a recent crisis that we just came out of, you know, a year ago, and it's... Uh... Yeah, there's been some overtones of COVID, and it's assuming that's what you're speaking about. In my experience with the lockdown and the kids in the empty stores, but but this feels different in a lot of ways, and we'll touch on them. You know, it's funny that I had in my notes to reach out to you this week anyway, believe it or not. Why? Not just because I love you and it's always worth a conversation, but because the so-called Mechitza Wars over Yom Kippur seemed to me to be such a pressing issue that I wanted to get your input on it, and and I just can't help putting a finger on. The fact that quite literally two weeks ago, there were many of us who were heartbroken, alarmed, you know, in all shades in between about the fact that Jews were fighting Jews on Yom Kippur in the streets of Tel Aviv. And here we are in the midst of a, a more classic form of war. Fight, and Jews were fighting Jews in the streets of Tel Aviv over things, over topics which seem so trivial and petty. In the in the face of life and death, um, reality that we're facing now, I, I hear that. Although I, you know, I've avo- I've avoided letting myself think that way because, I mean, it, <laughs> I'll tell you a grim image. We're we're in a grim time. I remember the day of my father's funeral. I'll tell him. When to say that I was in shock is is a small thing. And one of the clearest memories I have was taking out the trash right before we left for the for the cemetery. My mom said to me, there have been all these people in the house, she said, Mike, can you take out the trash? Here in my childhood home, I hadn't lived in my childhood home at that point for, you know, quite some time. And I found myself taking out the trash, and I had this realization that no matter what, the small things in life don't stop. Now, I agree with you that what we were fighting about there in the streets of Tel Aviv doesn't hold a candle to the importance of the life-or-death issues we're facing now, but at the same time, life doesn't stop. And it's actually where I wanted to start because the tribalism that found expression on Tel Aviv, on the streets of Tel Aviv, I think is is giving us a, a, a an unexpected face right now. What do I mean? Since President Ruby Rivlin's famous speech about the tribes of Israel, people have become accustomed to speaking about our tribal nature. Right? The, the tribe of Tel Aviv, the Judean tribe, the Haredi tribe. And I think there's actually a lot of positivity to it. Um, but I think that what we've seen in the last few days is that if we're going to live in an era of tribes, like the Book of Judges, we forget the nature of the enemies and the challenges that we face when we enter step by step into that type of tribal warfare. I mean, the divisions have consequences. And, you know, I think you might have been the one that taught me. If it wasn't you, you certainly reinforced it that the backbone of the Book of Judges is that our national security depends on our 
spiritual security. So, so tell me what you think we can do a little bit to strengthen our spiritual security right now. I agree with you completely that the um, that we're paying a price now for for years of polarization, um, and um, it's um, you know I don't presume to know um, God's calculations, but um, but I certainly. I think it's, but it's hard to avoid a, rec- a sense that this is a day of reckoning. Um, and um, in some ways, Am Yisrael are stepping up. And I think that that that's seen most clearly in the um, statistics of, volunt- of, of uh, reserves showing up and, 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 and volunteers for, for, for reserve duty and Israelis coming, getting on airplanes and coming back. I'm in order and the, to serve. And the blood donations and the food drives and what I'm seeing is is a is a uh, an enlistment on every level, and um, and also videos of uh, testifying to the incredible morale of the soldiers at the front, which which I think is um, is not to be taken for granted because we've been we've been living through experiences in this country which have been extremely demoralizing, um, if nothing else, and. And so in some ways we're stepping up. And in other ways, anyone who reads the news or spends any time on the social networks, and I'm actually recommending to people who are close with me to spend less time on, on, uh, um, in that sort of um, you know, in activity. Yeah, we're going to come For other reasons that. which we can speak about. But, um, but, it's also, but it's, it's also important to spend some time because you can still, you, you still hear the undertones of, of, um, of finger pointing of 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 demonization you can see the cracks in the in the fabric of in in the societal fabric and um and it raises concern for the day after um you know i've said in maybe even our last conversation um that my understanding of of the fact that we were we merited to come back to the temple mount in um in 67 was the, the, the unified solidarity of the Jewish people worldwide. In other words, my mm. feeling is, is that, is that we, um, and this is based also on, on quite a few Hasidic texts, which speak about the fact that, that the primary vehicle for, for, um, for God being present among us is our ability to be together. Um, and it goes back to Midrash as well, the, 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 you know, as one nation with one heart in Mount Sinai. Um, which is you know which is of course the pinnacle of of proximity to god's presence on 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 earth um so you know there's this sense that this is like a kumbaya sort of vision um and to some extent um um war creates also a virtual reality a bubble which which you have to consider you know Will the clarification, will the will the reckoning, Berur, I think a good translation of Berur is reckoning. Mm. Will the reckoning that that we're being called to um, by by this opportunity? And um it's a painful opportunity, it's a devastating opportunity. But nonetheless, it's an opportunity for us to take a look at ourselves. And um, and if if it if it only stays 
on the level of, um, of, well, when we are faced by our enemies, then we unite. We can stand shoulder to shoulder in the face of death. But short of that, you know, we're going to shout in each other's faces. The day after has to be, has to be significant. And, um, and it raises serious questions about leadership, about, about the, um, the uh, viability, but not about, about the leadership qualities in our, in our leaders. And over here, I speak to both camps because a pol- you know, it takes two to tango. The polarization, which has been going on, has been going on under, under the current leadership of the entire, the entire nation. And um, it's been going on for a long time, and it's not only in Israel. Um, it's true in many many of Western countries, and you know th- there's a real reckoning that we're being that we're being called to here, and um, and yeah, I think there's there's deeper concerns that I have about how do we how do we how do the leaders who appreciate this and who see this um, teach this? You know, is is there a teaching moment here? Is there an educational um, teaching moment here? Um, and, and how can, because everybody's also so caught up, so, so gripped by anxiety, mm. um, we, you know, and when someone's gripped by anxiety, it, it's not a good teaching moment. So it seems that like there's a historic opportunity and yet it seems that there's not really, um, there's not really, um, um, I don't know what the word is. Um, there's not an open, an open mind and an open heart when people are facing such an extreme when people are an extremist so what i hear in this is and i this is just the filter passing through for me the whole time it's again this model of the book of judges where tribal people we've been back in our land for almost 100 years and we've merited leadership on the charismatic level right this glorious moment of 67 the terrible and and yet triumphant moments of 73 and, and so many other sort of times when we've drawn together, yet in the end of the day, especially in the last 10, 20 years, but, you know, the fragmented nature of Israeli society is nothing new. There has yet to emerge a category of leadership that knows how to truly build a whole society. And, you know, the book of Judges, as it was handed down to us by, uh, by Shmuel, by Samuel, says... You know, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in their eyes. And they did what was right, right? That's the key. It's not pointing fingers and saying you're right. Everybody really believes, and I believe, even though I was horrified, I believe the people who fought Mechis in Tel Aviv thought they were right. Just as I believe that the people who wanted it there thought they were right. But, but where is that vessel that can hold us together and say, listen, it's a core Jewish value to say that being right is not always what matters. Sometimes you know, building a vessel that can bring greater life into the world is our mission. To share what I think is the most, the most um, valuable chapter in the Book of Judges in this respect, and that's, that's Devorah. You know, Devorah, we're told judged all of Israel. And she judged all of Israel sitting underneath a tomer tree. What's a tomer in English? How do they translate that? A palm. A palm, palm tree? tree of Devorah. So 
So if you look, and, and, and it's specified between two cities. So my take on, on why it's specified between two cities um, is that she knew that she had to be out in nature in order not to be identified with any particular tribe. She had mm. tribal pedigree, obviously, but she knew that if she was going to, to be shofet at Israel, and it's a unique story, in that she's um in that she's facing a, a national threat yes. from Sisra. And um and it's a story of war. Absolutely. And she's the one who takes it upon herself to mobilize, but it's also a story of 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 um the failure of men and the and the um and the success of women. Um both both Devora and Yael, and when Devora sings her song after the victory, she says about herself, Ad shekamti ani Devora, MB Israel. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm getting the quote exactly correct. Yeah, no, I think um, it is correct. Kamti MB Israel, Ad shekamti, Ad shekamti Devora, or maybe Kama Devora, uh, Kamti MB Israel. I, I, I established myself as a mother in Israel. And, um, you know, that sense of, um, of, you know, tribal identity is established by the father, but but um, but but if you but everyone knows who their mother is, which is why you know, which is why uh, the, the advantage of a matrilineal structure and a matriarchal structure is that is that leveraging the um, the, the, the 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 feminine is leveraging where you, where, where we come from. Every single one of us began life inside of a, a, a inside of a woman's. Um, stomach every single single human being so that motherhood is a is a universal human um, source starting point yeah and um and she's incredible you know she goes on to sing and give points to every tribe based on how they responded she goes through the tribes and gives them points based on how they responded and she's not kind to everyone <laughs> and she's not kind She's she's a scolding mother. That's exactly yeah. what she is. She's yeah. she's like, you know, Ephraim, <laughs> where were you? Yeah. Um, and um, I think that there's a very deep message there. It doesn't create the shift. You know, it's, it's later on in in in, in um, the book of Shmuel where Shaul becomes the first king. But um, but it's the high it's the high point of that particular of, of Sefer Shavtim, and. It makes me wonder. It makes me wonder whether you know. I look at the pictures of the war cabinet. It's a bunch mm. of men sitting around a table. Yep. Where are the women? Um, and um, you know, and Israel was groundbreaking, and that we had we, we've had a woman prime minister. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that that it requires uh, a uh, a female. But it requires the qualities that are associated with a commitment to 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 to, to more basic values, more basic values of of being human, of being alive, of family of family ties, um, and uh, we need to go back, I think, to those to to more to kind of bedrock values mm. and rebuild there. That's those are foundations that that have become very weak. There's something else it says to me, which is that I feel like there's a different type of courage represented by the father than the mother. And, and here in war, a father that goes to war himself goes, sends his sons and his daughters you know, off. The, the, the mother has a different connection to those children that go off to war. And it takes a different type of courage. And it really prompts me to ask, since I know there's, there's an enormous amount of fear out there, 
enormous amount of fear. I spent um, a little bit of time speaking to my kids, and, and if you have wisdom for people of how they should speak to their kids, I think that's an important piece. But but I think that there, uh, a, a mother's sense of courage, that attachment to source of life, offers a very different way to hold fear. What, what would be the wisdom that you would offer to people in, in how to hold fear, whether people are literally on the front lines or whether people are feel far away, and it doesn't mean that they're not terrified. It's just a different type of fear. Yeah, I think that um, I think that the more connected you are to life, the deeper your connection to the value of life, the more you intuit, um, or the more you what's the what's the verb for having an instinct? The more you instinct, um, I think intuit is right. I think you said it the right way. Yeah, the more you intuit that that um, life has to be put on the line in order to preserve life. Um, you know, it's that. It's that lioness um, um, image, uh, the lioness protecting her cubs, and um, the mm. um, you know the um, and I also think that there's a there's there there, there can be um, you know I don't want I don't want to stereotype like like do genders to go no, too far with the genders. I, I would by the way I would say in terms of that. To me, at least, what we're speaking about is archetypes, not stereotypes. Meaning, yeah, okay. there, there, there are ways in which, you know, I'm, I'm deep in, and we'll get maybe to the Jewish heroism project and to the Jung that I've been studying and all kinds of stuff like that. But one of the things that Jung points out is that, um, forget the biology, which he also points out that, that you know, the, the genotype in a man or a woman is dominant, but not absolute. He just points out that the very existence of being a man means that there's a woman that you are not. And, and, and the existence of being a woman means that you're, there's a man that you are not in expression. Therefore, within each of us exists these archetypes, and, yeah. and, and we struggle to find expression, some more than others. So, so uh, to me, it's, these are archetypes and not stereotypes. It doesn't mean that every woman or man per se acts that way. But the Torah definitely tells us that these are frames in with which we're meant to understand relationships. So I'm sorry, I interrupted you just to, to, for a caveat. Yeah, thank you. So I think that the archetype the archetype would be would be the the um, the deep knowledge that life and death stand very close to each other, um, and that you know women have, you know, historically, you know, as human as human beings evolved, and as any any mammal evolved, um, was is a deep knowledge that there's that 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 bringing a life into the world can you can can kill you, and um, and and. The um, you know that, that proximity, which you know, there are many halachic expressions of it, but I think that it runs very deep, and I think that there's a, um, I think women draw on a on a very deep courage. It's very deep knowledge that's embedded in in um, in that proximity, which men don't have. Um, I think that um, you know, so men don't have maybe to the same to the same instinctual sense, uh, same, the same, yeah, in, instinctual tens level. of thousands of years of birthing. Yeah, I mean, our tradition calls the womb also the kever, right? Right, it calls the womb also the grave, and not just because a woman is close to death when she gives birth, but because of the understanding of what you're saying is that that um, all individual life is a courting of death because you come into the world with a one-way ticket, you know, or a round trip, rather, I guess is a better expression. And so therefore, death comes into the world with you. And yet, if you're attached to that source of life, you have that inheritance of being that half of humanity that 
He's the generator of life. Our tradition actually calls the womb together, right? Which to me connects beyond the uh, experience that women have of the fragility of their own life in the moment of giving birth to this fact that on some level death and life come into the world together, like you said. I mean, it's a round-trip ticket. And the, the, it, it's the imminent death that drives us, gives meaning and all that classic ways. But, but there's a courage in knowing that life came from somewhere and it, it goes to somewhere. But I, I, I do have any practical, I mean, I, I hate to be uh, overly grounded. <laughs> um, but, do, I mean, you're a community leader, you're a father, you're a Saba. In our last conversation, you were leaning into that Saba energy. I wonder how that is now. It's a very different zone. Do you have any practical guidance? frames of thought, prayers, for people out there who are feeling afraid of, of how to hold it? So first of all, you, you mentioned before the question of speaking with children. And then I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a shameless plug for my wife, Miriam, and her channel, Conscious Jewish Parenting. She gave a session last night online, and um, people can access her content. And um, I'm sure she'll be doing more. I know she's planning one in Hebrew. Um, Where can they access it? So um, if, you, if you look for Miriam Leibowitz, Conscious Jewish Parenting on Facebook, you'll for sure find it. And if you reach out to me, if um, together with this podcast, you have contact information for me, sure. then people can reach out to me and I can make the, I, I can make the reference. Um, she's my, my you know, greatest uh, guru on parenting. And oh, um, it's a gift to have a wife who's chosen to, um, to become an expert in the field. Um, and um, so I would recommend that, and I don't, don't really want to, I don't feel competent to, to talk, speak to that as much as to, um, to what you just asked now. And, and that is, how do, we cope, how do we cope ourselves with fear? And, and, and I'll say a couple of things. First of all, um, fear is an important, a, a crucial emotion. And it's, um, sometimes we become, we become afraid of fear and pain. Mm. And it doesn't, um, the fear and pain are still there inside of us, knocking. And um, the fact that we are afraid to open ourselves up to it can sometimes be counterproductive, is often counterproductive. Um, and it comes out in other ways. Most often it comes out in anger and rage. Absolutely. Um, and, um, and when it comes out in anger and rage, then we often hurt the people close to us. And we often um, act unwisely towards people who are, who are in opposition to us because we're we're being we're being um, led by our emotions and not by our um, and also by other emotions. In other words, we're acting in anger, but really um, it's not anger that's 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 present as much as pain and fear. And we're and and, and we're, we're we become we become possessed. And um, I think that that's a, that's a lot of what I see happening um, right now um, online mm. and. Um, and I think that it's um, it's also not a good experience to be possessed. When one is possessed, um, one, one does not ever experience fulfillment. At the most, what, what one experiences is is, is 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 temporary satiation of of impulses and needs, but they but they but they come back they come back even more hungry. Hungry. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I what I've been trying to do with myself, and I, and you know, I'm like everyone, 
Um, we are all experiencing fear and we are all experiencing pain. Um, and, um, and I would say those of us who allow ourselves to open our hearts to what is happening, that that pain is devastating and that fear is paralyzing. Um, and so um, I think that, that we can go back to this, to this theme of, of motherhood and, and to a word that you used when, when you asked this question, you said, you're sorry to be so grounded. I think that grounding is a big part of what's called for. Grounding is, is um, you know, we, we come from, we all, we all started our life um, inside of a woman. And humanity, as it says in the Pasuk, there's a place where we're connected to the ground. And I'll tell you, Sunday morning in my davening, even though it was Yisruchag, the first day of Tishrei, I, right after Amida, I did Tachanun. I said, Tachanun, Tachanun is a, is a prayer of, um, of, um, of sorrow and, um, and, and seeking solace and seeking forgiveness, which we say daily after the, after the silent prayer, after the Amida. And as our, our Rebbe, our mutual Rebbe, Rav Daniel Cohen taught us, um, Tachanun can very effectively be said the way it's supposed to be said. It's called Nefilat Apaim. So we have this custom of sort of leanly putting our forehead on our, on our arm. On right, the but what does Nefilat Apaim actually mean? Falling on your face. And um, and falling on your face is is most definitely a description of on the floor, um, pro, uh, you know, uh, it's prostration on the floor, not the prostration of yishtachavaya, not the prostration of of kneeling and prostrating as as a bowing bow. and as that's right of worship, but rather a what Rodaniel taught us beautifully as a surrender, as a surrender, um, and what. What, what the guidance we received from him was to experience that surrender also as support, as being held by the ground. Um, it, it, it's introduced as with a pasuk um, of a conversation between God and God, the prophet, and David. Right. Not God, God big God G, but David, God, small G. <laughs> yeah, God, that's right. And, um, and the prophet, God, um, um, says asks David if he wants to fall in the hands of God with a, with a capital G or um I guess with a capital G and O and E um does he want to fall in the hands of God or of man and God and David responds like David God says let me fall in God's in God's hands and not by hands of man and 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 he's given that the grace of that and, 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 and but I um, think you skipped an important piece of that translation that I think is key. It starts with Tsar Limiod. I'm really hurting. Yeah. And to me, that says two things. One is what you said is letting yourself feel the pain and the fear. And the other one is, is when that pain and fear is so big, that's when you want to fall into the hands of God. Yeah. Because there's a point at which human hands can't help you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and 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 that experience of of lying on the ground and allowing yourself to feel support. Um, you know, I also practice meditation daily um, um, this past year, and um, I often meditate laying down on the ground, um, as I've been taught by my, my uh, 
Jaya Ashmore, who I've studied meditation with. And um, and even when I'm sitting in a chair, anyone who does meditation um, knows that a big part of the teaching is feeling the points of contact with, with what is that supporting you. Mm. And recognizing that, um, that in the midst of all hardship, um, there's also tremendous support and and mm. and um, reminding ourselves that we live in a world which provides us. We live in an environment in an environment um, who, um, it, who which can sometimes be very threatening and very exposing and very dangerous. But it's in its nature also to be supportive, and it's and and that and those supportive elements are 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 present and even when they don't feel present you can strengthen yourself by 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 going back to them going back to the fact that i my heart still beats my breath still comes i have firma terra under my feet terra firma under my feet um and this is from you god and i and and i and i want I'm begging you to allow me to reground myself in that in order. And then I think the next step for me, the next step for me is, is a choice. Is a choice for a choice of courage. I think that um, we have, we, we mistakenly think that courage is a personality trait or is only a personality trait. Perhaps for some people it's a personality trait, but I think for many people it's a it's a hachraa. What's a good translation of hachraa? Choice feels too weak. It's, it's a, an inner decision. Yeah, I'm looking for a really strong word. Of, it's an important. No, it's an important question because it literally is tipping the scales toward. Hachraa you know, is a very strong word. It's, it's, it is. It's, a, it's like you have to. You have to. Hmm. That's an important question. We're gonna have to come back yeah. to. Okay. <laughs> so. I feel that that both that choosing courage, and I would also say choosing optimism, um, because because there also we very easily say I'm a pessimist or I'm an optimist. He's an optimist. He's a pessimist. I'm a realist. And, and what that does is it takes away the the tremendous amount of agency we have in that in that sphere. Um, now we might not always feel like we have agency. But there's work to be done there to 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 to, re, to remind ourselves that um, that we we can work as human beings. We're capable of reframing the way we see things, both using our our mind and our heart, and also and also leveraging our environment, the people who are close to us. Who do we surround ourselves with? What content? What information do we surround ourselves with? The first thing you said which to me is very profound in that image of Nephila Tapayim, of, of falling on one's face, is that the first thing to do if one wants to hold fear is to make contact with the things that support us. To, to take the time to consciously, whether it's the breath in my lungs, the heart in my chest, the sun rising, the, the solid ground, the support network, the people I love, that, that which is still there. To me, it's very important because I, I want to speak a little bit about heroism before we're done. I have this project, we're doing shameless plugs, I'll do mine, of the Jewish Heroism Project, which is just starting to get underway. And my definition of heroism is Mesirut Nefesh Lema'an Tov. I'm not going to go into the whole definition right now, but the Mesirut Nefesh piece 
usually translated as self-sacrifice or giving over oneself. And that's true. But from what you're saying, there's another face of it, which is also handing things over. It's not just, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to give all I got. That's true. But I'm also going to say, you know what? This one's in your hands, God. Or this one's in your hands, Sahal, and both. Meaning, meaning it doesn't have to be one or the other. But that acceptance and that submission that you're characterizing, which allows you to really lean on the things that hold you. The, the other piece I heard you say, would I hear that correctly? With my own little... The other piece is this sense of hachra'ah, of... Um, I'll just use inner decision, but I think you're right. It's stronger in Hebrew. But the determination not as a passive sense, but you've determined to to choose life, to choose optimism, to choose hope, to choose agency. And, and, And in that sense, to me, I know one of the things that got me through Corona, and I see it operating even now, is Bouncing between a very tight horizon, right? What do I need to do today? Who are the people in my immediate circle I can support? And yet, not allowing that to be blinders that prevent me from seeing what I can do on a, on a, on a broader scope and who I can touch. And it's a, it's, a, it's a delicate balance, but it's a decision to believe that we have agency and not to be overwhelmed. This is something I've been telling my kids about the social media, like you mentioned, that, 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 that there's a darkness and despair which the very sort of medium cultivates, it feeds on. And limiting one's exposure to it is extremely important right now. So, so this is fear, and I, I want to pivot toward heroism, because that's my obsession, <laughs> frankly, right now. Um, you know, in, in, in the story of Jewish heroism, which is as old as creation, We've entered the last hundred years a sort of new old phase of classic military heroism, the image of the, you know, the Israeli soldiers is known all over the world. I'm curious, not as a theoretical question, maybe we can have that discussion another time, but right now, what's the heroism you think that the average person is being called to? I think that we have, um, we have a huge opportunity and also, and also a challenge. Um, and here I'm going to speak about those of us who are who are um, in the rear guard. It's all of us who are not soldiers, right? Um, and um, the uh, on the one hand, we it's it's the it's the most um, healing thing in the world to be of service to others in these situations first of all um first of all um not not being engaged in 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 something is extremely dangerous extremely um debilitating yes um you know action simply action um because because our we have um our instincts when we're feeling anxiety is fight is flight uh, um, fight or fear or, or freeze, and um, we can't fight, and we can't and we can't run. There's no flight, which means that if we're not doing something, we're freezing. And freeze is the least 
the least productive of those three responses because it doesn't process this. If I'm running or if I'm fighting, I'm at least processing the anxiety. I'm, 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 I'm doing, doing something, something with it. Yeah, and even in the biological sense, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm cycling my adrenaline back out of my system. But if I'm right. just sitting there, I'm stewing, and and so, so it's so it's distracting, it's fulfilling, and it's activity. So, you know, we see that there's an overabundance of volunteerism right now. Like for every need, there's five people volunteering to fill it, and um, it's amazing. And um, it's amazing. My daughter right it's now has been waiting three hours yeah. to give blood in Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is very inspiring, and it's also encouraging because it means people are responding in a health in a healthy way. Um, it's it can also be a challenge because our desperation for for something to do mm. can lead us to miss um, the places where we can uniquely be a contribution. Um, you know, there might be somebody standing in line to give blood because he feels like his action, and his kids are home alone. And, with, with, and 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 you know, for him, the heroism would be to 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 spend just spend the day with with it, with, with with his children, um, which is not only an investment in them right now; it's investment in their future. It's an investment in their in their future citizenship, of 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 not associating war with abandonment. Wow. Well, pause for a second. What I what I hear is that that heroism first of all begins in action for lots of good reasons that you listed. That action needs to be guided by what I would call Hakarat HaTov. Not Hakarat HaTov in the sense of gratitude, but Hakarat HaTov in the sense of a truly refined ability to recognize the good which I can do. And as you pointed out, the rush to activism shouldn't blind us to the unique contribution. We shouldn't take the easy path of, of um, which is not to denigrate in any way the things people do, but like what I hear you saying, if I heard you correctly, please tell me if I'm wrong, is that actually there needs to be a constant awareness that there is a unique contribution. There's some good which I can do in almost any given moment. And that part of my energy needs to go into recognizing that. And which I'm uniquely positioned to do more, than, and more, more, more effectively than anyone else. Mm. And I think, being, I think being willing to sit with that and let, and, and let that emerge. And, and while you're sitting with it, you might... You might, you know, do all sorts of things. You might bake cookies for for the for the volunteers down the block, which anybody could do, um, because it's important to be productive. It's important to be doing. But while you're doing that, you're also um, you're also um, sitting with. And I would also say, I would also say, you're praying. And I think that that's that. I want to just also touch on prayer, um, as I think prayer is 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 always the first step um, in term in, in moving from from um, crisis towards action. Um, what prayer does, first of all, it, it, it's grounding. Um, it's communicative. It gives you an opportunity to open your heart and to process your emotions. And it, 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 and it resources you in, 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 the, in the matrix of God's, of God's vision, of, 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 of the vision of life. And, um, and it's very active. It might, prayer can sometimes feel passive, but I think prayer, but definitively, is active if you understand oh. it. Or at least prayer in the Jewish sense, um, because you know the the sense the sense of a world which provides an opportunity for a relationship with with its creator is um and, and that really what everything is a partnership and a conversation and interaction. 
as part of a vision. And by the way, I don't think, I have this idea, this crazy idea that atheists need to be praying, um, perhaps to um, to their to their highest to their highest vision of what of what life is. Um, I have this this um, sort of sense that I've never fully articulated or explored enough. Is that when you when the atheist people can't see the screen over here? We're on Zoom, yeah. but I know this is audio. So right now my hands are up in the air, um, and my right hand and my left hand are next to each other, and you have the believer and the atheist who seem to be polar opposites. But if they follow in opposite directions and you go full circle, um, then the hands meet at the bottom. And I think you discover that they're much closer than you could have imagined. Um, I think that, that the, 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 um, I, have, I have enough faith in, 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 in um, God's world that those who choose to commit themselves to, to, to life um, and to the human expression of life and hold that and are in service of that highest ideal are not far off, off from yeah. the vision of a creator who created a world intended to be committed to life and, 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 um, and, and holding human life as its highest ideal. We're not so far off from each other. I, I share that with you. So that, that, that this power of prayer actually is what the note I kind of uh, want to end on, even though I feel like this conversation is just leaving so much, to be explored, but this is not a small situation in which we find ourselves. I want to float an idea for you. It's a, it's a thought I've been trying to share with people, specifically about prayer. And it's the following. A, you know, I've been sending this out to lots of people. I may have sent it to you as well. Pray for victory, not peace. A war fought without intention of winning is either suicidal or immoral. The morality of war lies as much in its vision of victory as in its means of execution. To me, prayer is an act of vision. And one of the problems that we face right now is a paucity of vision. It underlies what you identified in the challenges of leadership we hold. I think it underlies a lot of our ability not to make that hachra'ah, that inner determination of choosing life in hopefulness. Because, And I, and I think that Peace has become a, a, an excuse in that we're unwilling to face the cost of victory because, uh, because uh, without a vision of victory, of what the day after, as you said, looks like, then it's, forget the fact that it's unlikely we'll actually be victorious, but what exactly is the justification for fighting other than raw survival? And we want more than that out of the world. So I'm, I'm curious, in light of that, what, what um, final thoughts you might want to leave us with. What should we be praying for? Or how should we pray? Yeah, so I really hear what you're saying. Um, and I'm a little concerned that, that what I'm going to say now could leave us, could leave a discouraging note. Um, but I really don't think that it should be discouraging, so I'm going to, I'm going to brave it. Yeah, um, do it. Um, I think that ultimately, I, I agree with you. Um, but I think that, I think we have a problem. I think we have a very big problem. Um, because if you hold a true um, vision of where the world is going, and you are truly 
in sync with what it is God wants from us, then you will have a, an appropriate and healthy balance of chesed and gvura, of the, the um, capacity for, for war and the, and the drive for compassion and care. Um, but if you don't, and you say, pray for victory, not for peace, then what you're, then what you're doing is you're breeding Jewish religious fundamentalism, which is not in balance. It's not, it's, it, 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 it's, it's compassion. It has very serious deficits. Um, for instance, um, the deficit of believing that compassion is only for Jews and not for non-Jews, um, or, or, the, the, um, or the confusion, or confusion between, between real Torah values and kind of religious or nationalistic, um, nationalistic uh, aspirations. I don't think that religious or nationalistic aspirations are really part of what Torah is interested in. Um, I just shouldn't say that, are ultimately what Torah is interested in. Yes, they are part of what Torah is interested in, but they're not ultimately what Torah is interested in. Um, so it's very, it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to, um, to, to really be in service before we're at the end of the process. In other words, we're, we, 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 I, think that, I think that a lot of patience is required of us right now. A lot of patience, a lot of ability to hold and I, and I know it's, it's really hard and it's really painful to say, to recognize that the reason we're not able to, to win these wars is because we haven't resolved what we care about as a people. We haven't really truly resolved what we care about as a people. And the reason we haven't truly resolved what we care about as a people is because there's, there's a person we're waiting for who's, who's destined to come and inspire us to some sort of resolution of these values. Um, I think did we speak in the last. I think we spoke in our. In our yeah. So anyone yeah, who wants did. to, anyone who wants to know why I've gone back to my to my uh, simple to my belief of, in in Mashiach, Mashiach as a person, Mashiach as a person, and let go of my vision of Mashiach as an era or a period and gone back. So you have to listen to the last conversation that Rav Mike and I had. Worthwhile. Uh, you can anyway. find it online. Um, there's 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 a transcendent vision which holds a lot of these pieces which still seem contradictory to us which we're not touching yet which means that that we might we're going to be able to win this war in to the extent that we're zoche to right now yes and we're going to be merit. zoche we're going to merit it to the extent that we have clarity of of true elements of the vision and it's, it's and, and, and and it's not it's not whole yet so now that doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. In '67, we—I feel like God said to us, "You have just taken a giant step forward, and therefore you'll take a giant step closer to the to the to that pixelated point from which I created the world." Um, and that was a giant step. But um, you know, there's aliyot and yiridot, and nobody yeah. knows what the end of this process is going to be. That's the prayer. That's and, and I, 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 I so it so resonates for me what you're saying about prayer as vision. 
and um, and that's precious. And um, and being open to say there are things I don't I I haven't figured out yet. Um, you know, it's I th that's I think that's also important. Not not we're not there because they haven't figured it out yet. I feel like that's what most people are doing right now. Yeah, oh, that's a big um, mistake. To, <laughs> to really recognize we're not there because I haven't figured it out yet. I I don't know. Like, yeah, there's mothers in Gaza with babies who are fearing for their lives and they didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And I don't know the answer of how of what's right. I I I know that I want to be more aggressive than we've been till now. I know that I want to wipe Hamas off the face of the earth. I know there are things that I know, but how do they fit together with my values of compassion? And what's the exquisite um, hair's hair's breadth um, balancing point? Um, we've got a lot of work to do on that still. Well, I I think that's actually a strong note to end because on on one hand, what I hear you saying is that. Prayer is vision. On the other hand, we need to accept the fact that we're human beings and that as a people, we're at a point in a historical process where we don't really know how long there is yet to go. And so therefore, part of that vision right now is holding the inconsistencies and the challenges, but never failing to move forward. And um, I, I think that that's really what I'm taking away from this conversation is the sense that, that um, we need to touch things that ground us in order to lean on them in our fear. We need to look for the unique good that we ourselves are capable of doing while we're also just participating in the general good. And we need to pray deeply for the vision that allows us to put the pieces of a broken world together so that we can fight not just for the end of war, but for a true vision of peace, which is victory for everyone. Oh, Rav Aaron Leibowitz, it's always a source of strength to me to see your face. I'm, far, I'm sorry that other people can't see it right now, but it's the nature of the medium. Um, and I want to thank you for taking the time and bringing your heart to this conversation. Um, and I want to bless you with vision. You are a leader in your community, in our country. I want to bless you with peace in your heart and, a, and, a, and an ability to hold the fear and to share that sense of goodness of vision that you really have with everyone around you. Amen. Amen. I want to All bless right. you back with, with safety for your children Amen. and safety for, for Am Yisrael. And, um, and um, tremendous hatzlacha in the um, in the Jewish heroism project. What's that? that is it. That is it. Tremendous hatzlacha. I feel like it's a huge opportunity for um, for for us to learn from you. And um, I feel like your, your teachings, your um, your 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 breadth of vision is tremendously helpful um, to people at this stage. And um, hatzlacha rabba. Well, on that note, people can actually check out now JewishHeroism dot. You can always find me at RavMikeFoyer at gmail.com or RavMikeFoyer on Facebook. You can also go to RavMike.com. I'm all over the place. Send me your thoughts, your prayers, the things that you want said here in the land of Israel if you're not here yet. Um, and more than anything else, look after each other because now is a time in which the stronger we are in our bonds with one another and the stronger we'll be as a people and really as a planet. Okay, God bless. <laughs>